You're listening to the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show number 10, The Flipping Episode. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dorkin, and this is my co-host, Brandon Turner. What's new, Brandon? Ah, life is great, Josh. What's going on with you? Oh man, actually, uh, this week is kind of crazy. I'm actually out of town uh, scoping out locations for a potential upcoming 2013 Bigger Pockets Summit. Nice. So, uh, yeah, man. So this week is really, really important. Uh, it's uh, it's kind of exciting. I, I'm not going to reveal any details yet until things are set in stone. But uh, hopefully, if all goes well, when I uh, get back, uh, by the time the show airs. Uh, we'll, we'll have some, some more information about where this event might be happening. Cool. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I think a lot of people are. I think a lot of people are. But uh, enough about me and the potential uh, event that is to come. <laughs> <laughs> before, uh, before we get into it and introduce today's guest, let's do the, uh, the Bigger Pockets quick tip if that's cool. And uh, I promise uh, this time I will actually keep it very, uh, very quick. Uh, I just invite you guys to come introduce yourself to the Bigger Pockets community in the new member introduction forum and let us know who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about where you want to go with your investing. The community at Bigger Pockets is uh, it's really tight and uh, we want to help you succeed. So, again, come on over to the new member introductions uh, forum and introduce yourself. And actually, if I could also mention, if you're a regular forum user already, uh, definitely keep an eye on that forum. You can actually subscribe to the category, and whenever a new uh, person introduces themselves, uh, you can jump in and just say hello. So it's an awesome way just to uh, get to know people, make the community even stronger. Build your network. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, uh, we, we'll have a link to that in today's show notes, which you can access at biggerpockets.com slash show10. Um, all right, so... Let's get into this thing because uh, I know we've got a ton to talk about today with one of Bigger Pockets' most active members, uh, Jay Scott. Jay Scott runs a very successful house flipping business and documents his deals in incredible detail on his blog, 123flip.com. Uh, Jay's also an active moderator on Bigger Pockets on the forums, uh, and he answers questions all the time for beginners and professionals. Did you know that short and medium-term rentals often offer double the cash flow compared to long-term rentals? Well, it's true. And rental retirement just made investing in them easier than before. Now you can buy fully turnkey short and medium-term rentals that are newly built or renovated, leased, and managed. Maximize your cash flow, appreciation, and equity while the rental retirement team takes care of all of it for you. Plus, their creative financing options like interest rate buy-downs can get you a rate in the low fives. And their investor loans let you buy multiple properties with as little as 5% down. Not 20%, 5% down. But why buy with rental retirement? They're investors just like you and me and rock one of the highest reputations across big pockets with more five-star reviews than any other company on our site. And I think that's a pretty big deal. To learn more, visit rentoretirement.com. That's rentoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing in some of the best cash flow markets today. TurboTax experts make all your moves count filing with 100% accuracy and getting your max refund guaranteed. So whether you started a podcast, side hustled your way to some extra income, flipped a house, or finally bought your first rental property, your moves made a big difference in your life last year. Now it's time to make the most of your moves. Switch to TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. Buy low, sell high. Buy low, sell high. It's a simple concept, right? But not necessarily an easy concept. Right now, high interest rates have crushed the real estate market. Prices are falling and properties are available at a discount, 
which means Fundrise believes that now is the time to expand the Fundrise Flagship Fund's billion-dollar real estate portfolio. You can add the Fundrise Flagship Fund to your portfolio in minutes by visiting Fundrise.com pockets. Fundrise.com pockets. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise Flagship Fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement. So with that, let's welcome our guest to the show. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, man. Well, let's get started. So how did you start flipping houses? Basic question. Get on it. Yeah. Um, I think I started the way a lot of people start in this business. Uh, my wife was watching way too much HGTV and all the flipping shows. Um, I guess step back a little bit. Um, my wife and I were in the corporate world for a long time, uh, living in California. We decided to get married and uh, said, hey, let's quit our jobs, move back east, uh, start a family, figure out something new to do. Uh, so we came back to the East Coast. We took the summer off preparing for our wedding, um, and one morning my wife was literally sitting on the couch watching HGTV, some episode of Flip This House or Flip That House or Flip Some House, <laughs> and and she said, hey, let's give that a try, and I said, okay, and she said, no, I'm, I'm serious, let's, let's flip a house, it'll give us something to do for the summer. So your wife was the impetus for this whole thing. Usually it's the other way around. She was. We talked a little bit about real estate previously, but we had talked about uh, maybe getting into rental properties or apartment buildings or something else. And so we hadn't really given it a whole ton of thought, but she said, let's flip a house, give us something to do for the summer, just just a fun little project. And so next thing I knew, I was jumping on bigger pockets, learning a little bit about flipping houses. And, uh, and a couple of months later, we bought our first house. Wow. 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 So, so, you know, I try not to make this too promotional, but BP then definitely played some kind of role in your kind of getting getting your feet off the ground. I think BP was the first site I found when I jumped on the web and started to do some research in, into uh, into flipping houses, and it was definitely definitely the the biggest driver of, of my education early on. Ah, uh, cool. So, and I'm not saying that just to be nice. That that's the honesty, honest truth. Well, we know you're not nice, so it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. So. You guys decide to flip houses. It's it's summer. You, you know your wife's all excited. Let's do this. How did how to go? Tell us about that first flip. Oh, it did not go well. <laughs> um, so uh, imagine the ugliest '70s style raised ranch you've ever seen. Unfinished basement. The basement was filled with graffiti. Uh, the powder blue vinyl siding. I mean, this was about as ugly of a house as you could possibly imagine. And uh, we had seen maybe 100, 150 houses at this point. We're working with this wholesaler who was just pushing us to buy, pushing us to buy, pushing us to buy. And we just, we had analysis paralysis, just like most people do in this business. And we had seen this house and like, no, this isn't the one. And my wife looks at me again. She gets all the credit and, and said, hey, let's buy this house. I was like, well, this house is really not the house I want to start with. She said, We've been pushing this off for six months now. Let's just buy something. We'll figure it out. Worst case, we'll break even. Maybe we'll lose a little bit of money. But it's better to just go do something than to keep looking at houses for another six months and never do anything. So, And she was right. Yeah. So we ended up buying this house from this wholesaler, and we made pretty much every mistake a, a rehabber can make. First, we paid too much. So we knew we were paying about 5000 more than we wanted. We tried negotiating them down. We didn't do a very good job of that. So we overpaid a little bit for the house. Then we spent about 10000 more on the rehab than we anticipated. So we overpaid for the rehab. Then we gave up trying to sell it after about six weeks. Middle of winter, um, we didn't know what we were doing. Six weeks into trying to sell it, we got spooked and said, hey, this isn't working. We've got to figure out a plan B. So we ended up lease, not, lease optioning this house for two and a half years. Um, two and a half years later, our tenants pick up in the middle of the night, leave town. Uh, I think it was a week later that we realized they were gone. Um, nice. We did a second rehab on the house. At this point, we had done 25, 30 others, so we, we knew what we were doing. Uh, we did a quick rehab, got it on the market, sold it in a couple weeks. Uh, but we sold it for about 10 k less than we were originally planning to sell it for two years earlier, three years earlier. So looking back on this project, 
we spent too much money. We spent too much on the rehab. We held it for about two and a half years longer than, than we anticipated. And then we sold it for about 10K less than we had, we had expected to sell it for. So literally, we, we pretty much made every mistake you can make on a, on a project. All right, man. So apparently, uh, you know, your, your first flip wasn't quite the get rich quick flip that uh, you, you might see on, on one of those TV shows, huh? Two and a half years. Yeah, two and a half years, three years by the time we were done. Uh, on the bright side, uh, we made a little bit of money. We actually made about $3,000 on the project. Nice. And uh, uh, I think that's probably the first tip I would give to any wannabe rehabber. Um, you got to be conservative in your numbers. And luckily, we were, we were pretty conservative going in. So we knew that, uh, that even if we made a bunch of mistakes, which clearly we did, uh, we still had some, some room for, for, for profit. And we made a little bit there. That's great. Well, and, and I think the other thing that, that uh, I noticed was you actually had other exit strategies available. I mean, so, you know, uh, a typical flipper who, who's new at the game may not know that they can go and do a lease option. So that was, that was great that you, you had this other option available and you were prepared for it. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. So we knew going in that if it, the flip didn't work out, we could make money as a rental, uh, hold it for as long as we needed to hold it. We could make money as a, as a lease option, uh, which we ultimately did. Uh, and it, it basically taught us that if, if we're going to do this, we always need to have a secondary and even better yet, a third and fourth exit strategy that will work if the flip doesn't work. And we've been lucky so far. I mean, in the in the 50 flips we've done since then, we haven't had to, to rent or, or do a secondary exit strategy yet. But it's always nice to have that as a backup. Yeah, that's the lesson I learned on my first flip as well. Because uh, I have a very similar story. I We tried to flip one. We had it on the market for six or seven months. And that was right when the collapse was happening. And so we, we turned ours into a rental. I still own it to today. And uh, well, I guess that was technically my second flip. But uh, the first one was an accidental flip because it was my own house. So um no, that's yeah, that's great. Um, I want to go back a little bit uh, real quickly. Uh, I have two questions for you. First of all, when was that time frame? Like, was that prior to the collapse or was that during the collapse? And then also you talked about wholesalers and you bought your first one from a wholesaler. So I'm just curious on, on how you found that wholesaler or did, did the wholesaler find you? Yeah, so uh, time frame, that was 2008. So this was pretty much the bottom of the market in our area. Uh, things had, had pretty much collapsed and and we didn't expect that they'd be getting much worse. And luckily we were right. They didn't get much worse after that. Um, in terms of the wholesaler, I don't remember how we found him. Um, but once we found him, he kind of latched on to us. And he decided he was going to sell us our first deal come hell or high water. And he did. Uh, he, he spent about six months. I mean, I give the guy credit. Um, he was he was sort of a, a shady guy. Um, in retrospect, his deals weren't that good. And, and he didn't really care if he was selling us a good deal, deal or a bad, bad deal. He just wanted to make some money. But I have to actually give him a lot of credit for sticking with us for about six months and ultimately pushing us to buy that first property. I mean, there's a really good chance that we could have been like the other 60, 70, 80% of, of investors out there who get excited about doing a deal and then never do a deal because they just can't pull the trigger on their first project. So as shady as this guy was, I have to give him a lot of credit for helping us get started in this business. Nice, nice, nice. Um, well, so, so you, you made some money. You squeaked by on that one. Have you ever lost money on a flip? We have not yet lost money on a flip. Um, that was about as close as we've come. And again, I'm pretty conservative. And if you ask my wife, she would tell you I'm actually way too conservative. There have probably been 30, 40, 50 deals we've passed up over the past five years that would have made really good deals. Uh, but because I was so averse to losing money on anything, I passed on them. So in retrospect, uh, not losing money has, has probably been a negative thing for us. Uh, I probably should have taken more chances. And even if I would have lost money on a couple projects here and there, we probably would have picked up a lot of projects that, that ended up being really good projects that we passed on just because we we're risk averse. Well, I don't know. I, I, I get your emails, Jay, like uh, your updates from your website and I, I mean, every single like one, I'm blown away at how well you do. Like everyone, I'm like, I, I always call my wife in the room. And I'm like, oh, look what Jay just did. He just made, you know, this much on a flip, this much on a flip. So I, I credit that to you. I mean, being conservative, that uh, that's awesome. I mean, you've done a really, really good job. Like you've kind of been my like guide for the last couple of years on on what a good flip is. So 
Well, I, I really appreciate that. I, I think we've gotten really good at hitting the singles, hitting the doubles. Um, we don't go for the home runs too often. I think part of that's a factor of where we live. Atlanta, there's a lot of lower-priced inventory. There's a lot of first-time home buyers, especially the, the, the suburbs that I'm targeting. So we don't do a lot of projects that are over $100,000, or, or $200,000. So there's not a whole lot of room for us to be hitting home runs on our deals. Uh, but yeah, we've been really good at consistently hitting those singles and doubles, making uh, $15,000, dollars $30,000 per project, uh, which is kind of the bread and butter in, in this game. And, and if we can continue to do that, we're actually, we're, we're pretty happy. We don't, we don't really need to hit those home runs to be doing a good job in this business. Uh, that's, that's true. That's true. Hey, so, you know, how do, how do you go about deciding how much you're going to pay for a flip? This is, you know, this is kind of our one-on-one rehabbing podcast here. So let's talk about that a little bit. You know, do you have a formula? What is it? How does it work? I have a formula that I use. I call it my flip formula and don't get caught up in the name. It's not rocket science. It's nothing I've trademarked or, uh, or patented. Uh, it's actually a formula that a lot of people in this business use. And the simple formula is the most you can pay for a property is what you can sell it for minus how much it costs to rehab, minus all your fixed costs, minus your desired profit. So again, your, your maximum purchase price is the amount you can sell it for, minus your rehab costs, minus your fixed costs, minus your profit. That tells you how much you can pay for a property. Now, when I say fixed costs, I know a lot of people think about fixed costs as meaning holding costs, and they forget to add in things like commissions. You're going to have to pay your realtor to sell your house. You're going to have to pay uh, your buyer's realtor when you sell your house. Uh, closing costs. You're going to have closing costs on the purchase side. You're going to have closing costs on the, on the resale side. Um, in a lot of areas of the country, when you sell a house, your buyer is going to ask for you to pay part of their closing costs, or they're going to ask you to pay for a home warranty, or they're going to ask you to, to, to pay for, for furniture, stuff like that. These are things we call concessions. So when I talk about fixed costs, it's important for people to realize that we're not just talking about uh, taxes, insurance, utilities. We're talking about all the costs that go into, uh, into, the, into a project. And um, what I found on my typical projects, I'll typically spend about $16,000, $18,000 um, or about 10% of the, the resale value of the, pro- of the project um, in fixed costs. And I've noticed a lot, of, a lot of rehabbers these days, a lot of new rehabbers, don't think about all those costs that go into a project. But think of it this way. If I'm spending fourteen, fifteen, dollars sixteen, $18,000 in fixed costs, and I'm expecting my profits to be somewhere in the fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen thousand dollars $18,000 range, if I forget to add in those fixed costs, they basically eat through my entire profit. And that's what I see a lot of new rehabbers do. They forget to add in those costs, and that eats up all their profit. And in the end, when they're making nothing on the project and they've wasted or not wasted, but they spend all that time for, for no return, uh, they look back and they realize, wow, there are a lot of costs there I never thought about. So how does that formula then result differently than the, the 70% ARV that, that we hear thrown around all the time? Sure. Uh, so nothing wrong with the 70% rule. Um, I've actually used it myself on occasion. Basically, that rule says if you take the, uh, the resale value of the house, you multiply it by 70%, and then you subtract out the rehab costs, that's how much you can pay. And basically, what that formula is doing is it's bundling the fixed costs and the profit into the other 30%. Um, so you have 70% of, of the resale value is is um, your purchase and your rehab, and then the other 30% is your fixed costs and your desired profit. The problem I have with that formula is that um, when you lump your fixed costs and your profit together all into one number, um, what it does is it makes it, it 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 either artificially shrinks or grows your profit based on what your fixed costs are. So some rehabbers are going to have substantially different fixed costs than other rehabbers. Um, if you're using hard money, you're going to pay a whole lot of loan costs that other people aren't going to pay. Uh, if you're paying cash, you're obviously not going to have to pay any of those loan costs. Uh, likewise, if you're in a high tax area, you could be spending a lot of money to hold your property in taxes, insurance, and, and even things like utilities. Uh, whereas if you're in a lower tax area or a, a lower cost insurance area, well, your fixed costs might be lower because you're spending less on taxes, insurance, and, and that sort of thing. So instead of lumping in the, uh, the fixed costs and the profit all into one number and then allowing your profit to just be whatever's left over after your fixed costs, I actually prefer to define what my profit target is on the deal into my formula. So that way, if I'm happy to make 10K on a deal, 
I can factor that in specifically. If I'm happy to make 30K or if I need to make 30K on a deal, I can factor that in independent of all the other costs on the project. And how do you choose that? I mean, is, it, is that just a number you pull out of, a, out of the air or where do you get the 10, 30, whatever number you, you, you determine? Yep. Um, so the rule of thumb I've used over the past couple of years, and again, everybody's going to be different. It's a lot of it's going to depend on your area. I know guys in California who can make, um, 20, 30%, uh, on a flip, on a, on a, on a high price flip in my area. It's pretty tough to do that because things are, are pretty low priced. So our margins are a little bit more condensed than other areas of the country. So what we tend to find is we can pretty easily make about 15% of the resale value in profit. So if we're going to sell, uh, if we're going to resell uh, a project for about $100,000, we're looking to make about $15,000 in profit. If we can resell that same project for $200,000, we'd be looking to make about $30,000 in profit. So um, that, that's that's the general rule of thumb we use, 15% of, of resale value. Um, to extrapolate that a little bit further, what that means is if our typical project lasts about four months, uh, we can do three of those projects in a year. If we're getting 15% return on each one, that's a total annual return of about 45%. So that's kind of where we've been tracking over the last couple of years. And, and, and so that's, that's kind of our minimum profit target on any particular flip. So Jay, how do you figure out how much the resale value is going to be? That, if there's one area that I've struggled with in my flipping, it's get, taking the wrong guess at what it's going to be worth. Because it's not a guess. It's, it's, it's a formula or what, what is it? What do you do? Well, here's the nice thing. After you've been doing this for a while, and I know this, this I'll, I'll go back to, to the question, but um, what you'll find after you've done 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 flips, especially if you're focused in one area, what we're finding is a lot of the comps that appraisers are using for our sales are houses that we've previously sold. Mm-hmm. So the best comps for our sales these days tend to be houses we sold a month ago or three months ago or six months ago. So we have a really good idea of what our houses are going to sell for because it's based on the other houses we've done in the same area recently. And that's one of the reasons we like to stick in the same small area we flip houses in. I know a lot of investors, they're happy to go to different parts of the city, different parts of the state, even different parts of the country. There are a lot of advantages to sticking close to home, and that's one of them. You can kind of set your own comps. Now, stepping back a little bit, um, when you're first starting out, yeah, I agree with you. Figuring out what a house is going to be worth, uh, especially in a market that's declining or, or accelerating, um, figuring out what a, what a property is going to be worth when you're done with it can be really, really difficult. So I recommend to people one of two things. One, either you have to find a really, really great real estate agent, treat that agent really well, um, and, and rely and trust that agent when, when it comes to figuring out your resale value, uh, or get your license yourself. Uh, I'm a really big fan of people getting their real estate license, and one of the biggest reasons for that is access to the MLS. Once you have access to the MLS, you have access to all the data you need to figure out what a house is going to resell for. Sure, it takes practice. It takes time to learn the methodology, uh, but you have the data at your fingertips, and it's always nice to be able to to fall back on, on the data as opposed to having to trust or rely on somebody else to tell you what your house is going to be worth. I think that's great. Uh, I wish I, I actually took the real estate exam class back a couple years ago, probably three years ago now. I got all the way through the class. I think it was 40 hours and then I never took the test. Uh-oh. And I kick myself to this day. Like, you know, at the time I bought a house, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna be a flipper instead. But now looking back, I wish I had my license. I got to retake the class now. And now it's 80 hours in my state. And additionally, you know, we have we have a lot of rentals ourselves and we manage all our own property. And I would love to have a property management company you know, underneath me because as long as I have the system for my own stuff, why not include others? But I can't because in my state, you have to be a, a real estate agent for two years before you can be a property manager. So now, you know, yeah, if, if I could, uh, yeah, advise somebody, d- don't do what I did. I mean, if you're going to take the class, take the test. So. Well, let me tell you something. I, from an MLS standpoint, having your license is invaluable. Um, but I would say that there's even better reasons to have your real estate license. Um, for us, and, and I say this a lot, the best reason to have your real estate license is control of your deals. By having your license, you have the ability, one, you can show yourself houses. You don't have to wait for your agent to show up to let you into a house. You have a realtor key. You can see houses when and where you want. I mean, it's great. We're driving through a neighborhood. We're, we're looking at a house. We're driving through a neighborhood, and we see three other houses that are for sale. We want to see what our competition is. 
instead of having to call a real estate agent and say, hey, can you show me these three houses that you're never going to get a commission on because we're not even considering buying them, we can just drive up to the house, call the agent and say, hey, we're standing in front of your house. Do you mind if we let ourselves in? And we can see those three houses before we ever leave the neighborhood. Second, um, when you have your license, you have access to the other party's agent. So you're not translating everything through your agent to their agent down to your buyer or to your seller. You're working directly with, with the buyer or the seller's agent. So you know exactly what's being said. You know exactly what's going on. A lot of times there's stuff that agents don't communicate to you, uh, not because they're trying to deceive you, but just because they're trying to make uh, communication simpler and, and more efficient. There are things they don't tell you. There's 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 little things they don't think are important that if you were part of the conversation with your buyer's agent or your seller's agent, uh, you might think were important. So you have that, that flow of communication that you don't have when you're working through another real estate agent. Third, by having your license, you get access to the appraiser that's going to show up to your house. You have access to the buyer's uh, inspector when you're selling a house. You have access to your buyer's mortgage broker. You have access to the closing attorney. And these people are happy to talk to you because you're technically the agent on your side of the deal. They may not want to talk to you if you're the buyer or the seller, but now that you're the agent on your side of the deal, the appraiser, the inspector, the mortgage broker, the closing attorney, all these people are going to talk to you. So if you have questions, you don't have to rely on or wait for your agent to get those questions answered. You can do it yourself. That's great. That's great. So, so for, for me, control is the biggest reason to have your real estate license. You've convinced me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, so, all right, man. Well, how then, you know, we, we've got all this cool, these tips, this knowledge, this is awesome. I want to go, I want to find houses to flip. Where do I go? How do I find these deals? So for everybody, it's going to be different. Um, there are a lot of tif- different types of deals out there. And um, when you're trying to decide what types of houses you're going to flip. So uh, for some people, it's foreclosures, it's REOs. They want to buy right off the MLS. Uh, for some people, they want to go to, to, to trustee sales. So these are foreclosure auctions, houses sold right on the courthouse steps. Other people want to work directly with buyers and, or, or with sellers. They want, to, they want to send out letters and say, hey, you want to sell your house? Give me a call. Or they want to put up bandit signs. Um, or they might even want to knock on doors. Um, there are all different ways of, of, of buying houses these days. Uh, but you need to do what's going to suit your personality. Personally, I'm not a really big people person. So <laughs> it's true. I'm, 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 I'm pretty introverted and it um, doesn't always come out uh, when, when people are talking to me, but I don't like having conversations with people I don't know. So the thought of knocking on somebody's door and asking them if I can buy their house um, or even the thought of sending out letters and having phone calls come in, that's always scared me a little bit. Now, the idea of being able to go onto the MLS write up an offer and negotiate with a nameless, faceless uh, entity like uh, a big bank, that's always been appealing to me. Don't have to talk to anybody. Don't have to deal with somebody's struggles or issues or problems. Uh, it's basically a, a robotic type negotiation between me and a bank. So when I started in this business, I started just focusing on REOs, focusing on stuff right off the MLS. And it served us well for several years. I think we bought our first 30, 35 properties right off the MLS, uh, with the exception of the first deal, which was a wholesale, and one other probate deal that just happened to land in our lap. I think 28 of our first 30 deals were REOs that we purchased right off the MLS. And that was great. I, I'd have done that forever if I could. Unfortunately, about a year ago, uh, inventory in our area started drying up. Uh, new investors were coming out of the woodwork. And so there wasn't much left on the MLS. Stuff that was there was getting bid up too high. Um, and there just wasn't a lot of inventory being released. So we said to ourselves, okay, time to learn something new. Um, Talking to people on Bigger Pockets mostly, uh, Michael Quarles was actually a great resource for us on Bigger Pockets. Uh, he's a big fan, um, and K. Marie Poe was another one. Uh, they're big fans of uh, yellow letters. Um, so we said, okay, let's let's give this yellow letter thing a try. So we spent a good six months in, in 2012 honing our yellow letter marketing, creating different well, not just yellow letters, but white letters also, uh, but basically creating different marketing pieces, using different types of envelope, using different fonts, using different messages, uh, basically lots of testing over about six months to see what kind of, of, of seller response we could get. Ultimately, what we, what we realized was in our market, 
the bulk of the motivated sellers were people that were underwater on their mortgages. So for the last year, we've spent uh, most of our marketing time and effort on creating yellow letters or white letters that, that try and get people who are underwater on their mar- mortgage to call us and do a short sale with us so we can actually buy the property as a short sale. And I'd say of our last 15 or 20 properties, um, 80% of them have been short sales. So that's the other thing people have to realize in this business. Uh, you're going to have to be able to zig and zag and you have to be flexible because when the market changes, when, when the demographic of your buyers and sellers change, when your competition changes, if you can't change with them, uh, what you were doing yesterday may not work today or tomorrow. Hey, that's awesome advice, Jay. And uh, just a reminder to everyone, uh, all the terms and all the links that we're talking about today, you can actually find them on our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash show 10. So definitely head over there. Uh, you can also leave a comment on that page and interact with Jay or me and Josh. Uh, so right now or either after the show, head over there and check it out. Um, and Jay, I actually want to get back to something you talked about um, a little bit earlier about, you know, you have your realtor. Uh, and I, I know your wife works with you on your stuff, and I'd like to talk about that too. Um, but what else, what comprises your team? I guess, what, what makes up, who do you have working with you? Because um, obviously, you, you know, you're on bigger pockets a lot, and we love seeing you there, so you're not out uh, plumbing all day. So what do you, what do you got going on? How, how do you run those, your business? Yeah, and um, I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier because it really is so important to my particular business. Uh, I surround myself with a lot of tremendous people. Um, I have never been in construction. Um, I, I never, I didn't buy my first house until five years ago, which was my personal residence. Uh, I pretty much still can't change a light bulb. Uh, maybe I could, but my wife won't let me try. Um, so the for the most part, the reason we've been successful is that I've been really good at finding people who are a whole lot smarter and more talented than I am and trusting them to, to kind of take different take hold of different pieces of the business. Um, for the most part, our business is, is controlled by three people. There's myself, uh, my wife, Carol, and we have a project manager uh, who basically controls the, the day-to-day rehab stuff. And we like to think that, that our business is broken up into three pieces. There's the acquisition piece, there's the rehab piece, and then there's the selling marketing piece. And each of the three of us basically controls a different piece of that. I'm in charge of acquisition. I'm the numbers guy. Uh, I'm the one that, that kind of does longer-term strategy, figuring out where we want to be and when and what types of houses we want to buy. My project manager, he focuses on the, the day-to-day rehab tasks. He interviews contractors. He puts together scope of work. He negotiates and hires contractors. He's the guy that's out there every day making sure that the work's getting done on schedule, on budget, uh, high quality. And uh, then there's my wife, who is the, the marketing genius who really has been the one that's been most instrumental in our business. Um, she does all of our staging. She has networked with pretty much every realtor in 20, 20 square mile radius of here um, that that has any buyers. I mean, every every realtor in this area knows her, knows our product thanks to the marketing she's done and the, and the networking she's done. So um, I, we, we owe a lot of our success to the fact that she can put a house in the market and have it sold within our average days on market is 17 days. Wow. And that takes, and that takes into account the, the two or three that sat for six or seven months. So it's, it's not uncommon that, that we get a sale in the first weekend, maybe even before we listed on the MLS, basically thanks to my wife and, and her ability to, to network with, with the people that are actually purchasing houses in our area. Well, and so in order to sell something that quickly, I mean, you really have to nail the pricing down. So, you know, maybe you could talk about that pricing strategy a little bit because I, th- I think, and, and then we could go back to the, the team a little bit more, but pricing is, is just essential. And most, most rehabbers can't say 17 days is, is their average turnover time over, you know, 20, 30, 50 flips. Yeah. Um, pricing a property right is definitely key. Uh, Looking back through our metrics, we have sold at an average of 96.5% of the original list price. So the, the list price that we, we market day one, uh, we ultimately sell for 96.5% of that price. Part of it is probably that we're pricing our houses a little bit low. 
Um, but that's strategic for us. Um, we've kind of built a brand in our small area uh, of high quality, reasonable price, focused on first time home buyers, easy transactions. And part of that is selling houses that aren't over market value, um, that are competitive with some of the stuff in our area that is not fully rehabbed. Um, so when you look at our houses, um, the competition for our houses, the price point competition for our houses tend to be stuff that isn't nearly as nice. So by underpricing the market a little bit, or I say perfectly pricing the market, um, we've done a good job of keeping our days on market really, really low. And, uh, and that's helped us build a, a really good brand and, and, and really have people. I mean, one of the things I, I like to say is that um, it's something like 12 agents that we've worked with of the 50 houses we've sold uh, have brought, a, brought us more than one buyer. So when you have agents that are constantly bringing you buyers, it says they like working with you. They like your product. They trust you because they're recommending your product to their buyers. Um, so, so yeah, pricing right is definitely a, a big part of it. And we may be leaving a little bit of money on the table now and again. Um, but the quick turnover means that we can put that money to work again quickly on another project. Uh, and it also means that we're building a loyal follow, following of buyers and agents. Well, and, and I think the other the, the other nice thing about that is um, you're you know you are walking away that with that profit margin that you're setting up front, right? That that fifteen yep. percent, um, and and in order to price competitively, uh, you're definitely buying these things at at the right price. I mean, that's I think that's probably the most important thing that I would glean out of this as as an, as a potential new investor. I mean, if you're buying it right and you're getting your numbers right, you're going to walk out with a nice profit. And you don't have to. You don't have to overcharge for it. You know, you price it right. People will come in, scoop it up, and move on to the next one. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Are you serious about making real profits from your investment properties? Then why are you paying a property manager anywhere from eight to twenty-five percent of your rent? Cut your expenses the savvy way by self-managing your rentals using Rent Ready with flat-rate pricing that doesn't cut into your bottom line. You think I'm paying a property manager? Heck no. Get your hands off my cash flow. That's me slapping someone's hand. With RentReady, you can collect rent, screen tenants, track repairs, and manage accounting all from your phone. Are you a Bigger Pockets Pro member? Well, guess what? RentReady is already included in your membership. Haven't tried it yet? Well, then what the heck are you waiting for, man? We made this possible specifically for you, Bigger Pockets Pro member. If you're not a pro, RentReady is offering you 50% off their annual plan. New customers visit rentready.com and use code BP2023. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I dot com using code BP2023. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, you know, the podcast that you're listening to right now, in the year 2023 to save 50% off of one year of Rent Ready. Cut your expenses when you use Rent Ready to manage your rentals. Sign up today at rentready.com and use code BP2023. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Every lender loves to talk about how easy it is to get a mortgage. Then when it's time to fund your next deal, they ask for your full financials, your blood type, your mother's famous spaghetti recipe, and a map to the fountain of youth. Sound familiar? You got all that handy, right? Why not switch to a lender who actually makes qualifying for a loan easy? A lender like Host Financial. Host Financial takes the tedious tax returns, endless W-2s, and time-consuming financial requests out of the picture. Their light dock and common sense underwriting guidelines mean frictionless transactions every time. You'll even be able to use the actual or projected income of the short-term or long-term rental you're looking to purchase or pull equity out of. 
That's what lending built for investors looks like. So take the next step and grow your portfolio faster. Visit hostfinancial.com to request a quote in as fast as 60 seconds, which is faster than this ad. If not, it's pretty close. That's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Again, that's host, H-O-S-T, financial.com. Hey, so back, back to the team. I, I just wanted to ask about, uh, you mentioned your project manager. Um, you know, a lot of folks will start out and they're going to want to get their hands dirty and they're going to, you know, go in and probably end up trying to do it on their own. They might want to have a project manager, but they may not know how to, how to get one or, or how to kind of get that going. How'd you find yours, who, you know, and, and how did that uh, end up happening? Are they partners with you or how does that work? So, um, yeah, when I started in this business, like I said, I didn't know how to change a light bulb. Still pretty much don't. I'm not a construction guy. Um, I like to think I have some, some business experience. So when I run this business, I don't run it much differently than if I were running a business buying and selling anything other than, than houses. I could be buying and selling shoes. I could be buying and selling furniture. I could be buying and selling hamburgers. Um, basically, I focus on the business side of things because I don't know the construction side. Um, and when we first started in this business, I realized that Without knowing the construction side, uh, there's a lot of risks. There's a, a lot of places where I could I could make major missteps and, and the business could go down the tubes. Um, so one of my first priorities was to bring in somebody that did know the real estate side and that did know the construction side, um, that did know the contracting side. And I had a family member uh, who was between jobs, was looking to move across the country. He actually lived on the East Coast, was getting ready to move to the West Coast. Um, and he knew the real estate business. Uh, he had done some contracting. He had been in the mortgage business. Uh, and I convinced him, instead of moving to, to the West Coast, to come down here to Atlanta and, uh, and give me a hand for a few months. Well, five years later, uh, he's pretty much our, our most trusted employee. Um, he, he, again, he runs the day-to-day -day part of the business. Uh, he's not officially an, a partner. He's an employee, uh, but he does get paid a commission. So he gets paid a percentage of, of every deal that we do. He gets a percentage of the profits. And the reason I like that is because it aligns his financial incentives with our financial incentives. Um, he makes the most money when we make the most money. And we make the most money when projects get done on schedule, on budget, and high quality. So if he wants to make the most money, his job is, is to get things done quickly, on budget, and, and with the highest quality possible. Um, and this is a little bit different than a typical contractor or general contractor. General contractor is going to make his money by, by doing the most work. Um, certainly they want the, the project to get done high quality and they want the project to get done quickly. Um, but that's secondary to doing the most work possible. And the more work they do, the more money they make. Well, unfortunately, the more money, the more work they do, the less money we make. So that's why having a project manager is really nice because his goals are the same as ours. And he knows that we need to keep costs down. We need to keep schedule, keep, keep on schedule. Um, and we need to do high quality work. So we make the most money and he makes the most money. You know, one time in the, in the bigger pockets forums, I saw a response. Somebody uh, had, uh, somebody asked a question on how do you find a good contractor? And, uh, your response I thought was perfect. I had never heard it before, but I thought it was so great. You said, go to a home Depot or Lowe's at seven in the morning on a weekday. I thought that was just perfect. Cause I mean, in my town that would, that would define who are the good contractors, who are the good guys to work with. Absolutely. The guys that are showing up at 10 or 11 in the morning, that, that tells you a few things that says either they're, they're sleeping in and they're not real serious about doing their job. Um, they came earlier, forgot to buy stuff, and now they're <laughs> taking time away from the job site to come back to Home Depot. Um, or or they, they just don't take their job very seriously. So yeah, the guys that are there at, at 6.30, 7 a.m., those are the guys that, that are taking their job seriously. They're, they're, they're getting an early start and, and they're trying to spend as much time prepping before they're on the job site so they don't have to leave the job site to, to, to get materials and things like that. And, yeah, and I, th I love that. And I think that was actually one of uh, people's favorite tips from the 2012 Bigger Pockets Summit. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, I got a lot of comments and, and I, I, see, I remember at the boot camp that you did with Marty Boardman that, uh, you know, that was really one of people's absolute favorites. Uh, That's great to hear. 
Speaking of Marty Boardman, on on the very first Bigger Pockets podcast, uh, he had talked about his fl- four flipping um, boxes, which you know everyone can go listen to podcast number one, uh, which is biggerpockets.com slash slash show one. Um, but he talked about the four flipping boxes, which is kind of what you talked about a minute ago, where there's the the acquisition, there's the uh, the rehab, there's a selling, I think, and then there's the fourth box, which you haven't talked about yet, and I want to get into is the money. How do you, I guess, how do you um, how, how do you do that? How do you pay for your flips? How did you start out doing it and how do you do it now? Yep. So uh, I'm not going to lie. We were, we were lucky um, coming from a, a corporate background and, and working for some big companies. We had a little bit of cash saved up when we started. So we, we are able to buy some of our properties with our own cash. That said, over the past five years, I've bought properties with conventional financing. I've used portfolio lenders, small banks that, that loan their own money. Uh, I've used private lenders. I've even used hard money. Um, so as we scale, having a lot of cash, you're eventually going to scale above and beyond what you can afford to finance yourself with your own cash. So even for, for those who are starting out with a little bit of cash, you're eventually going to have to figure out the financing piece. And we realized early that, that we wanted to get big enough that we would quickly outgrow our cash reserves. So we've been, we've been working with all different types of, of, of lenders over the past five years. So these days, um, our preferred method of financing is working with private lenders. So we find guys who are doctors, lawyers, uh, professionals of some sort who have money sitting around in their in their retirement funds who are looking to get better returns than they're getting from the stock market or from the bonds that they're putting their, their retirement funds into. We're offering them 8, 9, 10% um, to invest the money with us, fully secured by our business, fully secured by our personal assets, and they're thrilled to do it. I mean, if they can make it, if they can make eight, nine, ten percent consistently on, on the retirement funds, that's certainly better to them than than taking a shot in the stock market, maybe making two or three percent, maybe losing money. So, for the most part, the way we're financing a lot of our deals these days is we're working with these private lenders who are who are happy to to lend this extra money they have sitting around from their retirement. And and how do you find those guys? So, it's you start out with within your own network. Um, so for me, the first person that ever did it was, um, uh, an in-law. So it was a family member's wife's father. Um, and once he realized the value of his investment and, and the consistency of the return he was getting, he recommended us to some of his friends. Um, I've gotten, I've gotten investors from bigger pockets. I had a guy last week who has been following my blog, following me on bigger pockets for several years, literally sent me an email and said, Hey, I have some money I want to invest. How can we do this? And we signed some papers yesterday and he's going to be loaning us money from his retirement funds for us to, to do, to do more flips. So networking is key. Um, being involved. I mean, the blog has helped me tremendously because it gives us some credibility. People see our blog and they, they realize that we're really doing what we say we're, we're doing. Um, I've gotten a lot of people who have contacted me from bigger pockets to talk about financing, whether they want to borrow money, whether they want to lend money, whether they just have questions. And, and these are all opportunities to build relationships that are eventually allow you to either borrow money or when you have money to lend money. Um, but real estate's a, a, a small club. And, and you need to get to know the other people that are doing this because they know people and they know people and they know people. And uh, if you just, if you focus on the networking, the, the money will come to you. One thing I like about, about real estate is that it's kind of a cool thing, you know, like, I mean, people, even older people like to be cool. And I mean, because flipping's on TV and stuff, it's a, it's a cool activity. So uh, that's one thing I've always um, used to kind of, uh, I guess, in my, in my business is, is connecting with other people because it's cool and they want to be involved in real estate, but they got a full-time job. They can't do it. And so they, they'll work with me because it's a way for them to be in a cool club without having to actually do it. Absolutely. And I think one of the things you'll find is a lot of real estate investors, people think real estate investors are always borrowing money, but I know a lot of real estate investors who also have money to lend. Um, I'm actually one of them. So I have a bunch of money in retirement that, that I love to lend to other real estate investors. And maybe I just opened myself up to Can I have some money, Jim? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but I'm, I'm not atypical. There are a lot of a lot of other investors who have money sitting around in retirement funds or from some other place that they would love to get 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 percent return. Um, so the best place to start is start with other investors. Start with people you know. Start with people in this business um, because you might be surprised. The money might be right in front of you and you don't even realize it. And let me tell you something. Here, here's something I've, I learned from Marty Boardman. Um, Marty's a, a genius. And I don't just say that because I'm partnering with him on, on a bunch of stuff. I mean, he truly has taught me um, a whole lot in this business. Um, but one of the things I've learned from him is you don't get money if you don't ask. Um, and he's a really good fundraiser. He's got a partner uh, in Phoenix who's a really good fundraiser. And um, it, it's just watching him has, has made me realize that that raising money is about getting out there and talking to people and asking. It's it's not rocket science. It's, it's just hard work. Yeah, no, that's great. great. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Hey, let's really quickly um, – Get 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 to the the uh, idea of flipping houses while working a full time job, and you know, uh, there's a lot of talk, especially on bigger pockets, where you know m- most folks say, "Listen, flipping is a job." You, you know, uh, flipping houses is not like a passive activity where you can sit around and and just collect the checks. You actually have to be out there doing things. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, so flipping is definitely a job. Um, but it doesn't mean you have to be working long hours. Um, it doesn't even mean you have to be working hard. Um, and I'd love to come back at some point. Maybe we can talk about this, but we've worked really hard to automate our business. Um, we've worked really hard to figure out when, when my wife and I left our, our corporate jobs, it was because we didn't like the 80 hour weeks. We didn't like all the travel. Uh, we wanted to start a family and be able to focus on our family. Uh, we now have two little kids and our number one priority is our kids. And so that comes before work. And we've had to figure out ways that we could automate this business so that we can go to the zoo, so that we can go to the aquarium, so that we can take trips for a week at a time, um, basically so that we can raise our kids um, while we're still earning enough money to, to raise our kids. Um, and so what we've realized is um, if you can put processes in place, if you can, if you can um, delegate, if you can prioritize correctly, it's not very tough to automate this business. Um, it takes work. It takes a lot of upfront preparation. But we've basically gotten to the point where our goal is for my wife and I to work less than 10 to 15 hours a week on this business. Uh, we don't always achieve that. And to be honest, I have my phone with me 24-7. I'm getting calls. Um, but I'm getting calls when I'm at the zoo. Or I'm getting calls when I'm up in New York visiting my in-laws. Or I get calls when I'm in the movie theater. I mean, yes, I'm certainly working hard. We're all working hard. Um, but we've kind of put parameters around what types of stuff we do and what types of stuff we delegate and farm out. And for us, the types of stuff we delegate and farm out is the stuff that would otherwise be taking us away from our family and, and our kids. So uh, a full-time flipper there's nothing that's stopping somebody from, from basically building a business the same way we did. Um, and instead of spending their days like at the zoo, spending the days, their days at a full-time job, or if they're better than I am at it, they can be spending their days on the beach somewhere and, 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 <laughs> and, and really make the business passive. We haven't quite figured that part out yet, but I know there's some smarter people than, than, than we are that have. So yes, you can, you can certainly be doing this with a full-time job. Oh, that's great. My wife and I have been trying to automate our business as well. So I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, another podcast with you sometime where we can talk more about that. Cause yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's huge is being able to step away and let your business grow. So, um, let, I want to step back kind of, I know we got to wrap up here in a minute, but, um, what exactly, what's your advice for a first time house flipper getting started? Um, if somebody would ask you, you know, Hey Jay, how do I get started with this? You know, I'm a newbie. I don't have a lot of money. What do I do? Sure. Um, I'm a big fan of writing things down, putting together a plan. Um, And what I tell anybody that wants to get into this business, jot down a plan. It doesn't have to be formal. It's not something you need to present to investors. It's not something that anybody else ever needs to see. Um, But jotting down a plan will will serve several functions. Um, First, it'll let you figure out, do you even really want to be doing this? 
Um, I remember about five years ago, I wrote a business plan for building a real large scale rental business where I could buy like two or three or four or 500 units over several years. Um, by the time I got done writing that plan, I wanted to throw up. <laughs> I, 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 seriously, I realized that, wow, that's just not a business for me because the type of work that would be required to, to build that type of business doesn't suit my personality. Um, so just writing it down was enough to convince me that this isn't something I should be spending a lot of time on. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they start writing things down, they'll realize what they want to do, what they don't want to do, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Um, second, writing things down will force you to figure out one of the hardest parts of this business, and that's the money piece. It'll, sit, it'll, it'll force you to figure out where's the money going to come from. Are you going to have to partner with other people? Or are you going to have to borrow the money? Do you have the money yourself? Um, or maybe some combination thereof. Um, you certainly don't need cash to start in this business, but if you don't have it, you need to have a plan. Um, and sitting down and putting that plan on paper will definitely go a long way toward, towards getting you towards that first flip, especially if you don't have the cash. Um, and then third, um, writing things down will help you figure out where your gaps in knowledge are. Um, if you can't fully articul articulate a plan on paper, you probably can't carry out that plan in real life. So start writing it down and realize, hey, I don't know how to do the marketing stuff. I don't even know where to start on the marketing stuff. Great. Jump on bigger pockets and, and do some research and, and figure out the marketing stuff. Um, I don't know how to find a real estate agent. And, and, and that, that paragraph on my, on my business plan is blank. Okay, great. Jump on bigger pockets and figure out how to find a real estate agent. Um, so, so putting together a plan on paper will really help you figure out where your gaps in knowledge are and will force you to go and fill those gaps before you actually get out there and start risking your own money. So my, my biggest piece of advice to any new investor would be jot down your plan. doesn't have to be formal. doesn't have to, to, to be real long, even if it's just a page or two. Just get down on paper what you want to do, how you want to do it, and what you need to accomplish it. So treat your business like a business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. that's great advice. And, and that's actually something that we really harped upon. Um, we actually just recently put out the Bigger Pockets Ultimate Beginner's Guide to Real Estate Investing at biggerpockets.com slash UBG. And uh, there's going to be a link in the show notes. Uh, but uh, speaking of getting your plan together and getting things organized, um, you know, I'm, I'm there's there's more more than meets the eye to this podcast and and you know the the transformer reference is referring to the uh, announcement that we're making uh, that bigger pockets has actually partnered with Jay on something really exciting uh, two books we've got two books that are coming out these books were both written by Jay and are really an incredible resource not just for house flippers but for any real estate investor. Now, the first book is called The Book on Flipping Houses, and the second book that comes with it is, uh, is called The Book on Estimating Rehab Costs, and it's, it's really awesome. So, Jay, why don't you tell us a little bit about how these books came about? Sure, sure. Um, so, as a lot of people know, I've been writing my blog for about five years now, um, and it's kind of been a labor of love. It's, it's been my baby, and um, I get feedback constantly from people reading my blog. And the two biggest pieces of feedback I've gotten over the years are, one, this is great. I wish your blog were more organized so I could learn step-by-step step how to flip houses as opposed to having to read five years worth of, of, of semi-daily blog posts um, and lots of articles. And so can you organize this data and can you fill in all the, all the holes that, that have been left in the blog for the last few years? Um, and then secondly, I've been asked, hey, how do you estimate rehab costs? That is by far the hardest part of, 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 of this business, a lot of people believe. And they see that, uh, that I've been pretty good. We've been pretty good. I don't take a lot of credit. I think my project manager gets most of the credit um, at, at accurately estimating the, the costs in our projects. So uh, having gotten those two questions over and over for the past five years, I started um, writing about a year, year and a half ago. And I, I finished up two books. One is basically a step-by-step -step guide to flipping houses um, that basically organizes everything I've, I've been thinking and writing the last few years, um, as well as adds about 60% new content that fills in all the gaps. Um, and secondly, I've written um, a guide to estimating rehab costs that basically will walk a, a new investor, even a seasoned investor, through the methodology 
of, of putting together a scope of work on a property uh, and estimating the costs associated with carrying out that scope of work. So we've written these two books, uh, total about 600 pages, 150,000 words. So it was, it was quite an undertaking and it did take me about a year and a half. And, and I'm thrilled that, uh, that I'm going to have the opportunity to partner with you guys to, uh, to be bringing that out to the masses. And you know, the thing that got me really excited about these books is how it fits so closely with the core beliefs of bigger pockets. You know, that, that real estate investing education shouldn't cost more than a college education. And of course, there shouldn't be any secrets. That's, uh, that's what I, uh, that's what I love about these books. And, and, you know, Jay, you, you just really didn't hold anything back. Everything is there that a person would need to know to either flip a house or just a remodel or rental. So really good job, Jay. Uh, and of course, anyone uh, listening who wants to pick up a copy of the book, you can get both the book on flipping houses and the book on estimating rehab costs in ebook version for just 29 bucks, or you could get the ebook version and the physical paperback versions uh, of both books shipped to you for 49 bucks. And as an extra bonus, Jay actually included a whole lot of additional material as well with either the ebook or the physical book, including a rehab analysis spreadsheet. Uh, I believe an appraisal package, an inspection checklist, a sample flipping chart of accounts file for QuickBooks, which is really, really awesome. So definitely want to check that out. And of course, a whole lot more. Uh, so if you want to order uh, your own copy or just want to learn more, head over to biggerpockets.com slash flipping book and check it out. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash flipping book. So, uh, once again, thank you, Jay, so much for putting that together. I know it's really going to help a lot of people find, uh, find their way to uh, success. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Awesome. Well, speaking of books, as we're wrapping this thing up, let's, uh, let's get to our, these, these final questions we love to ask everybody. And we're definitely going to have Jay back on the show. We're going to talk more about advanced flipping. Uh, so, uh, hold your breath. Uh, we will have him back. Uh, but Jay, speaking of real estate books, what is your favorite real estate book other than the two that you've spent a year and a half putting together? So I'm a numbers guy, um, and I'd have to say the, my favorite book is a book by a guy named Steve Burgess, um, and it's called The Complete Guide to Real Estate Finance for Investors. Um, and it basically is all estate, all about real estate uh, financing and, and the numbers associated with that. Um, I'm a big believer that uh, if you're going to be in the investment business, you at least have to have a rudimentary understanding of of the of the numbers and the finance and the uh, and the ability to do financial analysis on on basic projects. Um, and that that book wasn't too complicated. Um, again, I'm I'm not I'm far from a genius, and I could understand it. So. I'd highly recommend that to anybody that's uh, that's interested in, in more of the finance and the numbers side of things. And what about your favorite business book, non-real estate? My favorite business book, probably The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Um, so um, he he kind of opened my eyes a few years ago to, to – all the possibilities for automating and and um, basically putting your business on autopilot. Um, and I've taken a lot of what he's written to heart. Um, and so I'd say that's been the biggest influence on me in the past few years. Cool, cool. What about hobbies? I, I uh, outside of your kids, of course, which which uh, you know are probably extremely important. Well, I know are very important for you. Um, uh, what's your uh, what's your hobby, and are there any special skills that you have that people might not know about? I know how to juggle. Nice. <laughs> um, let's see. I, I think the one that I think a lot of people probably know because I've, I've, it's been mentioned before, but uh, I used to be a professional poker player, so I'd say uh, poker is still definitely a hobby of mine. Don't get to play nearly as much as I used to. Uh, but we should play, Jay. Would love to. Would love to. Maybe <laughs> the, the next Bigger Pocket Summit we could do. Uh, yes, it's a, a great idea. It's a Bigger Pocket Poker Tournament. Okay, okay, we've got it. Excellent. So yeah, um, and other than that, these days it's basically uh, trying to figure out how to raise two kids. So that's that's that's, that's, that's a full that's a full time job. Yes, it is. All right, last question, Jay. Uh, I asked this to everyone. What do you see as setting apart the top performers in our industry, the guys that are actually making money and, uh, and building a business? What do you see sets them apart from those who jump in and jump out so quickly? Yep. Um, 
again, going back to the same theme I've, I've touched on a number of times, I, I think it's uh, those that do best in, in, in this industry are those that have the ability to focus on their business as opposed to just in their business. Uh, the, the people that can think about bigger things than swinging a hammer. They can think about their long-term strategy. They can think about how they scale the business. They can think about cash flow and, and raising money. They can think about being more efficient um, in their business. These are the ones that tend to do the best because they're not so short-sighted and, and so focused on getting the next house on the market. Um, they think about where their business is going to be six months, 12 months, five years from now, um, and can really guide their business as opposed to allowing their business to guide them. That's great. Yeah, That's very, awesome. very good advice. Um, all right, Jay. So um, people can find more about you on your, on your site, 123Flip. Uh, they, can, they can catch you there. They can catch you on BiggerPockets at biggerpockets.com slash users slash Jason Scott. And uh, what other places are you on Facebook, Twitter, G+, are you everywhere? What, how else can people get in touch? Um, don't do a whole lot of social media stuff, but we are on Facebook. So Facebook slash, uh, what are we? I think we're one, two, three, flip real estate. We'll, we'll find uh, you and we'll, we'll put you in yeah. the show notes. I appreciate that. But uh, uh, like I tell everybody, I try and be as available as I possibly can. I'm pretty busy at the family thing, but I, over the past five years, I, I don't think there have been more than a handful of emails I haven't answered. Um, and those have been stuff that have slipped through the cracks because I'm not as always as organized as I'd like to be. So basically, anybody can always send me an email. I'm always happy to help however I can and always available on bigger pockets and on my blog. Yes, absolutely. And Jay is definitely always available on BP. He's, he's amazing at helping people out. So uh, definitely, if, if you want to learn from him, go through his stuff on his site. Go through, he's actually, uh, he wrote for us on the Bigger Pockets blog. There's uh, a ton of great articles in there that Jay's written. My favorite, actually, two being one on analysis and the other being on negotiation. And we'll link to those from the show notes. Um, and otherwise, you know, check him out, go to his profile and you can look at his forum posts. They're deep. They're awesome. So check it out. Jay, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're pumped about the book. So everybody definitely check out, uh, the, the, the books, the two new books and, uh, uh, we'll definitely have you back. Thanks guys. Glad to be here. This was great. Can't wait to do it again. Awesome. Thanks Jay. All right, everyone, that was our show with Fixin' Flipper Jay Scott from 123flip.com. I hope you guys were able to pick up a lot of great information from Jay and can apply it to make your business even better. Remember, you could check out more information about the book on flipping houses and the book on estimating rehab costs at biggerpockets.com slash flipping book. And finally, uh, just to thank everyone uh, who's listening to the show, we've had over 65,000 that's 65,000 listens to the Bigger Pockets podcast since starting out just a couple of months ago, which is, uh, which is really, really awesome, guys. Also, we're now up to 145 five-star reviews on iTunes. So if you haven't yet left us a review in your iTunes player or uh, on your devices, uh, please be sure uh, to do so. We'd really appreciate it. Also, be sure to subscribe to the show. That's it, everyone. Until next time, this is Josh Dorkin. Signing off. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. Peace out. Braving the real estate investing journey on your own can be daunting. Doubts tend to creep up and stifle your ambition. Is this actually a good deal? Did you run the numbers right? What if you can't find a tenant? Can you even afford this place? What if you lose your job? Whatever you're going through, we've all been there. And guess what? The best way to overcome your doubts and hesitations is with a healthy dose of knowledge, networking, and accountability. And that's just what you'll find in our newly released 2024 Summer Boot Camps. After these eight action-packed weeks of step-by-step -step guidance from expert investors, weekly video modules, live Q&As, interactive assignments, and new friends to keep you accountable, you'll be ready to tackle your first or next deal with full confidence and expertise. Choose from the small multifamily, short-term rental, or rookie boot camps and register by April 12th for the lowest prices. Head on over to biggerpockets.com slash enroll me today. That's biggerpockets.com slash enroll me. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. 
Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.